Father, we thank you for answering our prayers, Lord. We have been praying for Yasser and Manahil and, and their children for days and days and weeks through this ordeal of a civil war in Sudan. And Father, we're thankful that uh, Aaron gave us the report just minutes ago that they're safely in Egypt. Lord, we just ask, as we prayed moments ago, that you would continually watch over them with the health issues with Manahil, with her back, with Yasser's uh, issues as well that he's dealing with, and just the, the traumatic stress that the children have been under. Father, we just pray that your just wonderful hand of comfort and peace and your Holy Spirit would just minister to them, Lord. And Father, all the other requests, Carol with her memories, Talcum with summer Bible school needs, illnesses, Lord, we pray for Pastor Mike. We just pray, Lord, that you would just give him comfort and touch him this very moment as he's at home resting. We thank you, Lord, that hopes you're visiting with us today and all of our other visitors as well. We just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. So, I was talking to Asa about this picture here a little bit ago. And Asa said, I wonder, paraphrasing a little bit, not verbatim, right, Asa? I wonder how many people actually know who they are, who the characters are. And see, I, as a kid, I actually remember that actual cartoon. Anybody here with a raised hand say, I re boy, you're on that. His hand went up so fast, it was unbelievable. So, Saturday mornings? Saturday morning. Yes, another one. Okay, how many here do not know who these characters are? Marvin. Marvin. So, this is a um, representation of Aesop's fables, the, the hare and the tortoise. So, I could have put a picture that was dated way back, and then even I didn't. I saw the picture online, I said, I don't even remember that picture, but I remember this one. So, quick and slow is the way to go. That's our title of our message. If you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. So what we're doing is we're doing an expositional study through the book of James uh, every time I'm up here. And uh, this is, the, I think, the third uh, in, in the series or in, in the, the book of James, the third installment, we'll call it that. And we've only made it to verses 19 and 20 today, but I promise you um, next time we do this, we will finish chapter 1 and move into chapter 2 and beyond it doesn't matter how long it takes. It's God's Word, and we're going to dig into it, we're going to study it, and we're going to learn from it. But uh, I had planned on just doing 19 to the end of the chapter, but 19 to me is so profound. And so I'm going to give you a quick illustration of that. This last Thursday evening, the Fishers, Rob and Bethany, were over. Um, well, we were at the property that we're about to sell. A different story. Don't need to talk about that. But we were visiting as well. And I, I looked at Rob and I said, Rob, could you please pray for me about this message? And Rob, it wasn't because of the cartoon or anything like that. Uh, and Rob was like, well, why? I said, because I'm, there's a part of this message that's hard for me. Because there's a part of this message that I actually, I, I struggle with. And so you'll find a little, out a little bit more about that. But actually, to get to the position that I'm, that I'm in in the church right now, Rob had handed me a packet of paper, paper, papers, Rob, what is it, 10, 15 pages long, 
of a questionnaire from the conference that I had to fill out about my life. Maybe what I was like when I was younger, um, the, th- the issues I've dealt with in my life, um, my um, when I became a born-again Christian, my theological viewpoints on different points. It, it's very exhaustive. Is that a good word, Rob? It's very exhaustive. And there was something I wrote in that that touches on verse 19. And uh, it was the part about being uh, quick to hear or swift to hear. Um, my version in my Bible here is swift to hear, but I think everything I'm going to show you here is quick to hear because I just like that word better. So it's probably ESV. I'm going back and forth between New King James and ESV. So we'll get into that, but I do want to take a, uh, I want to take a sidestep here for one moment. If I can get this to work. There we go. Anybody know who this man is? Raised hand. Some of you do. Okay. We should. We're Anabaptists, right? We should know who this is. The reason I, I, this has nothing to do with quick to hear, slow to speak, or slow to anger, but I, I would assume that this man actually personified being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and that he did not let the sun go down on his anger if he had anger. Um, but the reason his picture is up here is because of his life. His name is Michael Sattler. Uh, Michael Sattler yesterday was martyred 496 years ago, May 20th, um, 1527, at the age of 37, quite young, quite young. Michael Sattler, I won't read. I have a little bio here. It just takes too long. I won't read it all, but there's a couple of things. Michael Sattler is known for as being, I'll say, the primary writer. He could have written all of it, I'm not sure, of the Schleitheim Confession. And that is a statement, probably the earliest statement, of Anabaptist principles. It's one of the founding documents, the founding statements of the Anabaptist movement. So Michael Sattler was a monk. So he had a vow of celibacy, celibacy, vow of poverty, all of that. And he ended up getting married to his wife, Margareta, and there he goes. Um, Thanks, guys. Actually, that is a self-portrait of him. He actually painted that. That is not artist rendering. It's his rendering of himself. Um, his wife was a nun. Okay. But guess what happened? They found Jesus. <laughs> they found, Jesus found them. Michael Sattler is a martyr. Um, he was charged. I'm going to read just a hair here. He was charged. The, this is the charging document. He was charged with defying the emperor. So back in the early 1500s, I'd say if you if you would say that there is no king but Jesus. Would we all agree with that today? There is no king but Jesus. Well, guess what? We just defied the emperor. He rejected the real charging documents. He rejected the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. From a Catholic viewpoint of transubstantiation, when the priest prays, the bread and the wine or the cup becomes the actual the actual bread, the actual blood of Christ. We, we don't believe that. Michael Sattler didn't believe that. That was a capital crime worthy of death. Just that one count would put him in it to the gallows. He also rejected infant baptism. And as Anabaptists, we understand definitely what that means. The next charge was he rejected extreme unction. It's an old term. 
old Catholic term. Extreme unction, I think we would know it today. Any of you who came out of Catholicism, correct me if I'm wrong, last rites. So if somebody is sick, they're aged, they're on their deathbed, the priest could come and pray for them, anoint them with oil, nothing wrong with that scripturally or anything like that. For the record, if that's me, please come and pray for me and anoint me with oil and and give me comfort as well. But in extreme unction, the teachings of, of the church at that time was that by the priest doing that, if that person who was laying on that bed could not speak, could not acknowledge or anything, then that gave them forgiveness of sins. And that is not scriptural. A priest cannot convey forgiveness of sins in themselves. So that one count would put him to the gallows. He taught against oaths. We know Jesus told us about oaths. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. He practiced, he was, he was charged with practicing the love feast. Another term is called the agape or the agape feast. Okay, won't go into that. Maybe that's another message one day. But basically, it was an early church practice, that they, but they separated it. They had a meal, and they also had a communion, communion, but they didn't put it all as a meal and communion at the same time. They separated it. It became extremely crazy at the time of Constantine and beyond, and so the church, the Catholic church, said, hey, let's not do this. Well, the Anabaptists started that again because they had read and they had heard that it was done. It's what the early church did in the first couple hundred years. And so they did that. So that in itself was a count to go to the gallows. He got married. That was a count to go to the gallows. He advocated non-resistance. That was a count to go to the, out, to go to the, the gallows. At this time, Europe was, in, it was embroiled in war. And that war was the Ottoman Turks were invading from the south and east. Now we know through history that they were defeated at the gates of Vienna, but as an Anabaptist, he believed that they should not take up arms against another man. So that was another count. He, in his trial, he denied that he had defied any imperial edicts or dishonored any saints. I forgot to say he... He was uh, charged with dishonoring the saints. What I'm referring to is veneration of the saints and also um, worship or veneration of the relics. Relics are the bones or something that they found. They put it on display. Anabaptists didn't do that. We won't do that today as well. He was convicted, of course, because the uh, his defense attorney was the mayor of Rottenburg um, in the, either Bavaria or, or, or Baden-Württemberg. And it was one of his fierce opponents was appointed his, his defense attorney. It was rigged anyway. Um, if you want to find out more about him, go to our website. I think there's a clip from the movie The Radicals on our website, but just look it up. It's called The Radicals. It's the Michael Sattler in the beginning of, of Anabaptism. It's the story. So I just wanted to bring that up because that anniversary was yesterday. So enough on uh, Mr. Sattler. Let's go, let's go ahead and read our verse together. James 1, 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God.
Verse 19, the very beginning, what does it say again? Know this. Know what? Well, we need those three things, right? But I think what we need to do is we need to do a recap a little bit of the verses prior. So we're going to go through that real fast, and then we'll get into the text. In verse, so we're going to look at 12 to 18. Actually, probably look more at 12 to 15. But blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We're not going to recap further back, but you remember, in James chapter 1, it's setting up the, the whole... It's setting up the scenario of that we as Christians, that in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you encounter or when you fall into various trials. That's hard. That's counterintuitive to life. It's counterintuitive to how man, men and women think to count it all joy when something difficult comes. We live in the United States of America in the year 2023, about every creature comfort, comfort you could want is available on Amazon. It's available online. You can go to the store and get about anything you need to have physical comfort unless you're really ill or have a disease or things like that. Our cars have heated seats. Anybody like heated seats? I love them in the winter. Amen. Anybody have heated steering wheel? I don't either. <laughs> but when I rent cars when I travel for work, in the wintertime in Minneapolis, and I don't know what car I'm getting, I walk in, I put my hands on that, I'm like, praise Jesus, right? Because it's cold outside. Count it all joy, though, when we fall into these various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of our faith produces what? Patience. Patience. And that's our tie in verse 19 and 20. That's our tie right there. So, recapping, verse 13. Well, first of all, we're blessed when we fall into these temptations. We're blessed when we endure. Let's say it that way. That's a better way to say it. For when we've been approved, we receive the crown of life. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted, or I'm, yeah, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So three bullet points that came out of that. Number one, God cannot be tempted. Satan can't tempt God. Man can't tempt God. We just had uh, Marvin did a great job teaching in, uh, in Sunday school, Revelation 19 and 20, talking about Babylon, the forces, the, 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 the world system. It can't tempt God. And now we know that God doesn't tempt anyone. We're going to find out here in a second, when we get tempted, when we fall into these trials, these, let's call it tribulations, it's not necessarily God didn't tempt us with it. But he does, the last point at the bottom, he does allow us to go into periods, periods of trials. He does allow us, do you really think that we fell into a trial without him knowing about it? Remember, either we just came out of a trial, we're in one now, or guess what? Put your happy face on, we're about ready to go into one. That's life on this earth. Praise God, we serve a God who isn't bound to life on this earth. 
So then why does God allow us to fall into these trials, these temptations? To test our faith. We'll go through this real quick. He displays his glory when we come out of it on the other side. To stop us from doing wrong. Anybody ever experience that? Wow, that was rough. I thought, whatever got me in, I'm not going to do that again. We've all been there, right? So we placed our trust in him alone. He corrects us through that process. Maybe a result is that we grow in faith. Anybody here ever gone through a trial, a temptation, a tribulation, and you came out of it on the other side, and your faith is stronger because you saw his hand at work in your life, in my life, that we may draw closer to him, that we may develop our character we're going to talk about a little bit more about that one in just a, just a moment. To understand the consequences of our mistakes. There are consequences. Of course we know that. To increase our dependency on him. That we may become more like him. I think that's out of Philippians chapter 3. To prepare us to help others. That's huge. You go through a trial. We go through tribulations. We come out on the other side. And now we can help others who we see maybe they're going through those stop signs into something, and we can say, hey, don't do it. Don't do it. And, of course, the last bullet point is to remind us of of who he is. So then we looked at this, 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. God doesn't have to tempt us with anything. We're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. In verse 15, then, next, right, then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So we looked at the blue triangle. Guys, thanks for editing my slides. It looks a lot better than what I have here. Those guys are awesome back there in the sound room. So it's progressive. We look at the pyramid from the top down. We're drawn away. We're enticed by our desires. That's the smallest part of the pyramid, the smallest mass of that blue pyramid, okay? And then as we go down, remember we talked about? There are off-ramps, 1 John 1, 9. There's off-ramps as we go through this progression into sin. The next one, desire conceives. A little bit bigger mass, a little bit bigger of a problem. We still have an off-ramp. The next one, sin is born. Bigger mass, bigger problem. And then the one at the bottom. Fully grown sin brings death. The biggest problem. So you can see it gets more difficult to deal with. And also, and the guys tweaked my uh, slide a little bit, but I had it in each progression. The font got bigger and bigger. It was a bigger problem as it went down. So back to our verse. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We talked about character earlier. So I heard a message by a man of God, and he talked about the five traits, or the godly attributes of our, that our children need, but also attributes that we need, or we need to teach our children. So what are those five traits? 
Number one was courtesy. Are we courteous? Number two is honesty. Are we honest? Are our children honest? This does tie in to quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Number three is obedience. Number four in his message was perseverance. And number five was the one that spoke to me the most. I wrote all this down. Thankfully, I might have forgot it. Self-control. And what did he say when he talked about self-control? He said, you know what? We need to manage ourselves better. Or we need to teach our children also to manage themselves. Hey, let's not lose control. Let's not throw fits. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And guess what? He must have known the message I was going to preach. Don't be angry is what he said. We don't have time for this, but then he went into some examples. And he said this. Samson lost control. Can everybody see what what he was talking about? Looking at Samson's life, and we're not going to go back and dig into it, Samson lost control. So of the five bullet points to the left, self-control was the one he really struggled with. He didn't persevere very well. He was not obedient. Honesty probably failed there. Courtesy probably failed there as well. Second bullet point, Cain killed his brother is what the speaker said. Does that qualify for courtesy? No. Honesty? Was Cain obedient? No. Did Cain persevere? No. Did Cain lose his self-control? Oh, yeah, in a big way. King Saul was impatient, is what the speaker said. Was he courteous, honest? Did he obey? I'm thinking of King Agag just came to my mind, and the sheep, the bleeding of the sheep. What was the instruction from the Lord, from the prophet to King Saul? Wipe them out. Everything. But he didn't. He spared the king. He spared the sheep. So the prophet came and he took care of that problem. And the King James, I think it says he hewed King Agag. And lastly, he mentioned King David lost control. I added, and sinned greatly. (laughs) When you run down to those bullet points, we can see so many beautiful things in King David's life. A man after God's own heart. But boy, there's some struggle in there too. He lost self-control. He didn't persevere at times. He did not obey at times. You can can see the, the rest. Does anybody remember this? Have you heard this before? Anybody? Thank you, Ruth. Rob, thank you for... Marilyn? The message was called Outcome-Based Parenting. Does that ring a bell? That was seven days ago. Well, my watch is here. At this very moment, (laughs) Rob preached this message last week. If you forgot, it's okay, because I'm going to show you why you forgot and I'm going to show you how it ties into being 
quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The next time you get ready to have a conversation with someone, let's consider these facts. This is from research. It's secular research. Just be upfront with it. But the world is not very quick to hear, right? The world is very short to hear and very quick to react and react violently. That's the world we live in. We're called to be different, right? We're called to be different. So we're going to start with 85%. 85% of what we learned is through listening, not talking or reading. The author of this study was Shorp. I think on this slide I have the author's last name who did these studies. 85% of what we learned is through listening. Is it easy to learn and speak at the same time? No. Okay. The numbers are going to go down. 75% of the time, when we are listening, we are distracted, preoccupied, or forgetful. Can I get an amen? This is the one I was referring when I was talking to Rob on Thursday that I struggle with. I put, in, back then it was CMC, I put in that pastoral questionnaire, I need to be a better active listener. So, I brought this watch today. I didn't bring an Apple Watch. But could you imagine if I had my Apple Watch on right now and I, I had the notifications turned on, how many times I would have felt a buzz? Anybody here know this feeling? Anybody here have a smartwatch and you take it off, yet you still feel it buzz? You feel something in your hand even though it's not on your wrist anymore? Think about that. It's stimuli but it's distracting you from whatever else. I'm just not talking about church, at work, at school, wherever. Little time stealers, little things like that. I heard a recent study, I heard this on a podcast actually, a recent study that if you're engaged in something and you pick up your phone and look at an email or look at a message, hey, Melissa says, stop at Kroger and pick up eggs, whatever it is. To get back to what I was working on it takes about 15 minutes to get fully engaged to where I left off. Now imagine that going on three, four, five, six, ten times, twenty times a day. How do we get anything done? And how do we concentrate on this? How do we listen to Rob or listen to Mike? How do we concentrate on it? How do we get it ingrained? How do we re, re, uh, retain it? These statistics get worse, by the way. Now we're down to 50%. After listening to someone talk, we can immediately recall about half of what they said. But this next sentence, even less if we didn't like the subject of the person. Rob, everybody loves you, so they heard probably 75 to 80%. This is for, for you, Okay. But everybody else, we remember about 50% of it immediately. So if you want to have fun with me, when service is over, we're dismissed, we go out there and shake my hand and go, hey, what did you say again? I'll, I'll, I'll laugh with you. And that study was done by, last name was Robinson. Here's the bad one, okay? Here's the bad one. 
20%. One hour later, we remember less than 20% of what we heard. What that tells me is the message you're going to hear today, that's why Bugs Bunny was up there. You won't forget that. That's the only reason why he was on the screen. An hour after this service, based on research, we only remember about 20% of what we heard. Unless there's another form of communication to get it in. The example, Rob spoke last week. We heard the message, right? Some of us, some of you, wrote down what he said. So that's another point of contact to get that message in. And that I knew Rob had said something that tied into this message, but I didn't remember those five points, Rob. I did not remember them. I just went to my notes, and there they were. And then I did something else, and that's why we have YouTube video and a podcast. I went back to the podcast, and I fast-forwarded to Rob's section when he got to this, and I just double-checked that I wrote it down correctly because it's easy to write things down incorrectly. So that was a third point of contact to remember what was said. Okay. Everybody's starting to get a picture here of what this quick to hear means. I hope you can read this. I hope if you can't, I'll definitely, I'm going to read it to you. But these are questions and answers. It's from another secular research. After this, then we'll get into what does the Bible say about this. How much time do people spend listening? So uh, let's take a 24-hour period. How much time do you spend listening? People spend between 70 and 80% so of your waking hours. Let's say it that way. People spend between 70 and 80% of their day engaged in some form of communication. Some form of communication. It doesn't necessarily mean listening. It could be, uh, um, it could be reading. It's a communication through a book from the writer. It could be different types of communication. And about 55% of their time is devoted, devoted to listening. What's the average speaking rate? Some people are chattier than others, but on average, the typical person utters anywhere from 125 to 175 words a minute. Unless you're a pastor or something like that, you just rattle in and... No wonder, you, no wonder we don't remember. Okay. Let's just say it's 150. We'll cut it down the middle. The typical person speaks about 150 words per minute. How many words do we listen to per minute? Your ears, your ears work a little faster than your mouth. The average number of words you're able to listen to per minute is around 450. 150 speaking, 450 listening. So how much of that is retained? How much do we remember? Even though your ears are capable of picking up on so many words, your brain doesn't necessarily process all of them. Most people usually only remember 17 to 25% of the things they listen to. I have a slide at near the end of this, but I'm going to throw the verse out now. Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I didn't look up the Greek on hearing, but I'm going to venture that it means continually. 
hearing and hearing and hearing. Why? Because we only remember 17 to 25% of what we hear. Are men or women better listeners? Guys, sorry. Guilty. Research shows that men only use half of their brain to listen, while women engage both lobes of the brain. If you constantly feel like the person you're speaking to is tuning you out, this may be why. So I'm going to wrap myself out here for a second. It happens way too many times. I'll be uh, downstairs at home, and Melissa will say, hey, I'm going to go upstairs and do X, Y, and Z. Can you do this? It might be, hey, put the thing up, put it down to simmer, turn off the, you know, the alarm on, the, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll do it. I guarantee you, five seconds later, because I'm reading something, I'm studying something, I'm listening to something, the iPhone's just, the watch is causing my arm to almost fall off. About 10 seconds later, I'll go, what did she say? And I'm this really, and I, I don't want to go upstairs and say, what did you say? Because then that tells her that I wasn't even paying attention in the first place. And I know I'm not the only one here. But I won't have you raise your hands. Okay. Last one on this slide. How important are the words we say? So rubber hits the road. We are carriers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to preach the gospel to every nation, every ethnic group across the world, aren't we? So the words that we say are extremely important. So how important are they? You might be surprised to learn that your words only convey 7% of what you're trying to say. The other 93% is communicated through facial expressions or the tone of your voice. Here's an example. I'm making this one up. It probably happened. Our son John, Coffee John back there. I see you're here so I can pick on you. Let's say he's a little kid and he's got his bike. He's riding, you know, in the front yard. He's riding on the sidewalk, live in town. And he wants to cross the street. John, I actually have a vision of Huntington Beach in my mind on this, but anyway. Um, He wants to cross the street, but I can see there's a car coming. John doesn't see that car, and I can see there's a car coming, but he's still kind of inching the bike out there to cross the street. And so I have two options. Hey, John, can you hold on, John? Stop, John, don't go. Or I can say, stop, John, don't go. Which one of you would do the latter? I said the same words. John's only going to hear 7% of the first one, or it's going to connect. I certainly hope he picked up on the 93% of the, not the fear, but the caution, the excitement in my voice and my tone and how I said it. Okay, let's see what the Lord says. So where you see highlights, Psalm 81, 8 to 13, where you see the highlights is actually something about speaking, opening the mouth, things like that. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen, so there's another form of communication, if you would listen to me, 
So there, uh, excuse me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that's the 93% to get you to pay attention. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Psalm 34, 11 to 14. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may say that he may see good? Keep your tongue. Now we're speaking. Quick to hear, slow to speak, right? Keep your tongue from evil. Evil doesn't move slow necessarily. Evil is quick, it's fast. And your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 119, verses 169 to 176. We won't read all 176 verses up to here. Let me cry, uh, excuse me, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word. For all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Why or how did he not forget his commandments? Because he was slow. Excuse, he was quick to hear. He was quick to hear. Proverbs 17, 27, 28. This is about speaking and being quiet. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. I didn't write it down and I forgot, but there's a saying. It was attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but it wasn't. It was before, before Abraham Lincoln. But the, in a nutshell, this is what it says. It's better to keep your mouth quiet and people assume you're a fool instead of opening your mouth and people confirming you're a fool. So, sounds like something maybe Mark Twain would say. Romans 10.17, mentioned it earlier. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What comes by hearing? Faith comes by hearing. What kind of hearing? Hearing by the word of God. Now, faith does come in other ways, but it doesn't say. Paul, when he wrote this, he didn't say faith comes by reading. But faith does come by reading. We read God's word. 
Yeah, it increases our faith. He didn't say, so then faith comes by looking, uh, seeing supernatural miracles. If you see supernatural miracles or experience in your life, experience that in your life, does your faith increase? Yeah, yeah. But the primary avenue, it comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there actually is verse 20 in this message today. <laughs> Everything has been about 19. So we'll just look at the uh, highlighted there. For the anger, this is verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we're just going to focus on one word in here, and it's called produce. Ergozomai. So ergozomai means to produce labor, to work, to trade, like in business. You know, we go to the store, we give them money, we get produce, we get groceries, we, however we shop, wherever we go shop. Our anger is working in the world. If we give ourselves over to anger, it produces something. And what does it produce? It produces unrighteousness. However, if we're quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, that also produces something as well. What does it produce? It produces the righteousness of God. It's our choice. Again, back to the recap that we did. It's our own sin. It's our own evil desires that draw us away and entice us. We can't just blame it on Satan for everything. In all types of communication, we're either producing righteousness or unrighteousness. And that word communication, it doesn't necessarily mean speaking. It's how we look at people. It's our body language. It's how when people talk to us, I teach this when, when you know, we hire people for in, in my work world. When people are talking to you and you're like this, what's the visual? Let's say Rob's talking to me right now and he's telling me something. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this means I'm closed. If I take my hands like this, it means I'm closed. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Rob, but you know what? My Apple Watch is telling me that I've just got 10 text messages and I'm thinking about something else and I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner tonight and I'm closed, okay? Another thing, and you see this body experts talk about this, is when you talk to somebody and their feet point a direction, my left foot's pointing this way. That is an unverbal cue that I want out of this conversation instead of directly engaging. You should study this online. It's amazing. And I always try to catch myself because I mess up on these things too. But I actually teach this stuff to people. And, and I, I fail at it too. You know why? Because I'm fallible just like all the rest of everybody else. And so the moral of this story with Bugs Bunny and the tortoise. So what happened in this story? Okay. I haven't read Aesop's Fable in, in a long time, but I went back and read a summary of it actually last night. So we'll say Bugs instead of saying uh, the hare. In the story, Bugs was so arrogant, so proud of himself, and he always was picking on the turtle. Why? Because the turtle was so slow and methodical, and he just took his time everywhere he went, okay? And so the turtle's like, let's have a race. So they have a race. 
So what happened when the, let's just assume, the gun went off? What happened? Well, Bugs, he's, he's gone. And the turtle's just barely trodden the lawn, right? Methodically moving. Well, Bugs looks back and he's like, oh, this is in the bag. I'm just gonna, I'm a little winded. I'm gonna just chill out and I'm gonna hang out maybe under this tree and take a nap. Well, he takes a nap, right? What happens? Here comes the turtle. And he passes Bugs and he keeps going and he actually wins the race. Bugs figures out and he gets up and he just runs as fast as he can. How does that tie into this? It ties into what Rob taught last week. Okay? So, let's go back to that. And this is the end of our message. I should just have you guys do this for me, but that's okay. There we go. Courtesy. Was Bugs, did he have courtesy? No, he was an arrogant rabbit. Honesty? No. Obedience? No. The turtle was probably his elder. He should have, he should have been more respectful to his elder. Perseverance and self-control? No. But what about the hare? I'm sorry, what about the turtle? Was he courteous? If you read the story... He was courteous. He was, was he honest? Yeah. Obedience? I mean, he just did what he did, right? Perseverance? Yes. He didn't see bugs just take off and he's like, oh, this race is over. I'm just going to go back and get a, a green leaf to chew on. No. He kept on going. He persevered. And he had self-control. He didn't get angry. He didn't lose his temper. He didn't throw a fit or anything like that. So, as we leave today, and hopefully the 17 to 25% of what you're going to remember, remember this. We have a choice. What's that choice? Quick to hear. And I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to spiritualize this a little bit more. Quick to hear what the Lord is telling you, what he's telling us as a body, as individuals. Quick to hear that. Slow to speak and very slow to wrath, very slow to anger. And I'll leave with this last point. When we pray to the Lord, I'm not looking for answers here, do we speak more to him, but do we actually listen to him? Is it all about pray, 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 ask, 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 amen, and go on to our day? Or do we actually take the time to just get quiet before him, get rid of the Apple Watch that's trying to distract you so you lose 15 minutes every time it buzzes, and listen. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then Marvin will close us uh, out with the doxology. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for teaching us through your word. Lord, may we be very quick to hear. Lord, when you speak to us, I, I can't remember all the times because it's been so many times you have prompted me over the years and I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And I just never get to it or I never got to it. And Lord, we're all guilty of that. But Lord, may we be quick to hear and quick to understand, be people of understanding 
Lord, the context of our message is about people dealing with trials and tribulations. And we need to be quick to hear how you're teaching us through trials and tribulations and be very slow to whine and complain, Lord, as difficult as it may be. So, Lord, I pray you just burn in our minds and burn in our hearts to be quick to hear your voice in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.